Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and how do you think the Incas got potatoes? Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and which pill did I take again? Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of... World systems theory and... Panspirism. Today, Dan, (laughs) tell us what we will be talking about today. Moonfall. <laughs> we're mid Imricary, basically. We were planning <laughs> yes. on this being the capstone to Imricary, but Dan feels very strongly that we should talk about 2012. So we're going to yeah. talk about 2012 next. Then we're doing sort of his penance, though I've heard it's a really good book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Ministry for the Future. And then after that, kind of a different thing for us, like a a more optimistic view of the world um, than we've been getting Mm -hmm. lately, contact. And thanks to this month's AMA, we just added Train to Busan, right, Dan? That's the thing we added? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yep. That's it. Zombie movie. And I'm looking forward to this. Everyone likes it. Good one. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm excited for it. I've been meaning to see it. This is a good kick uh, in the behind to get me to watch more foreign horror and sci-fi so yeah if you like the kinds of things that we do and i assume you do if you're listening right now please consider becoming a patron our patreon page Mm -hmm. is patreon.com slash space the nation also if you feel especially generous you could rate and review us or you could tell your friends and neighbors and if you want to get in touch with us you can always find us on twitter i am at dan dresner and she is at anna marie cox and dan it is Imrigary, so of course we're talking about Moonfall. But are, is there a specific reason we're talking about Moonfall? <laughs> I think there are two specific reasons we are talking about Moonfall, Anna. Uh, the first is, you know, there's been a lot of talk about in, in popular culture about how it's all about sort of inherited intellectual property. You know, there's the MCU, mm-hmm. there's the Disneyfication uh, of it. And I think we need to reward scrappy, independent <laughs> filmmaking. <laughs> Okay. You know what? You know what's funny though, Dan. Actually, this was independently financed. I know. I'm. I, yeah. I'm. I'm 75 kidding, but I'm 25 serious because, to be fair, this was a original script. Well, although, although let's face it, in the Oscar controversy <laughs> for 2023, inevitably there's going to be should this have been best adapted screenplay or best original screenplay, and you know, Anna and I will be able to weigh in when it gets to that. But you'll get my point. The point is. This is a movie about something, about characters we've never seen before. And so, you know, well. we at least should reward that. <laughs> we've sort of never seen people before. people understand our point, which is that yeah. there is a lot of unoriginal IP out there. And Imrik, <laughs> yeah. for all that he borrows, somehow... And he borrows a lot. ...manages to cludge together something original every time. Yes. It doesn't always work, but goddammit, he has a vision. And he is going for it. Yeah. And, and that is why we love him. Yes. <laughs> that is true. No, I th- we talked about this on the AMA earlier. I, the way I think of Emmerich is that he is like a chef that it's not like the top of the line cooking. But like if if you give him the leftovers in your fridge, he'll he'll, he'll make something out of it. And he furthermore thinks he can make something like out of it. Like a good omelet. And, you know, props to him. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. A good omelet with a giant moon coming at you. That, you know, that's and that is the by the way, the other reason we are clearly watching this. I think I speak for Anna when I say this, which is 
I enjoyed watching this movie oh so much. It lifted my spirits in a weird, bizarre way. Every time I've seen the trailer, I have laughed genuinely at it. It's just, it's hard to explain the joy that I feel in terms of I am considering seeing it again, like in the theater. <laughs> because I also laughed almost the entire time. I had, <laughs> it was so fun. Yes. And we should probably like leave off talking about the movie as a whole for later. Yeah. But basically this was the most fun I've had at a movie. <laughs> like <laughs> I mean, part of it's the pandemic, right? But like Yeah. It was more fun than The Matrix. It was more fun than Black Widow. Oh yeah. Yes. Easily. It's its own thing. And yes. part of me can't understand like why it's getting I mean, okay. I understand why it's getting bad reviews. We should move on, Dan. We should move on, Otta. So, like, let, tell us the story behind... You said it's got bad reviews, so maybe you want to tell us the story behind the story. How has the movie done so far, Anna? Well, not great, Dan. <laughs> so, it was released on February 4th of this year. It had a budget of $150 million, which is a lot. And it is yeah. genuinely an independently financed movie, which I... We can kind of mock because it, it's no bottle rocket or whatever. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> or brick or, yeah. Yeah, or or the Blair Witch Project. Yeah. yeah, but it is outside the studio system. It also is currently the biggest box office flop of the year. <laughs> which, honestly, like I had to double check that. Like I, I was like, mm -hmm. really? Because part of me is like, isn't this what the world has been waiting for? You know, Armageddon, but moon. <laughs> It's like, it's it's Sweet Meteor of Death, the movie. And let me put it this way. I enjoyed this film like, more than I enjoyed Don't Look Up. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, like, if you're one of the yeah. hoity-toity, like, critics who didn't enjoy Don't Look Up, like, you should like this movie. Because this is, <laughs> this is like, the flip this is, side. <laughs> this is if you put Don't Look Up in some kind of antimatter machine or something. Are you, you're saying that this movie and Don't Look Up could not exist in the same cinema, that they, the, the universe right. would actually explode. That is actually what yeah. I'm saying. But to get to the to the story behind the story, uh, I have stumbled on an Emmerich trope that we didn't notice earlier, which mm -hmm. is that this movie, like Stargate and like 2012, is based on a very obscure book about a wild conspiracy theory that Emmerich read at some point and decided would be a good movie. So... Do you think there's like an Emmerich assistant or do you think it's Emmerich who reads this or does like Emmerich have someone? Oh, I think it's Emmerich. Like, I actually have come to, I, okay. I see him as an auteur, really. Like <laughs> in his Fair own enough. way, I really believe no, that. No, it's, it's like, like it, it, no, that, I think that's true. I mean, like, you know, we joke about this, but like Michael Bay and Zack Snyder are also auteurs in their own weird way. So yeah, this, this works. I so this is it. somewhat based on Christopher Knight and Alan Butler's Who Built the Moon? <laughs> Who, who indeed, Anna? Who built I'm the moon? I'm glad we're finally going to answer yeah, that question. Yeah, which it suggests that the moon is not a natural object, but a megastructure, as it is in the movie. Mm -hmm. Production-wise, sort of notable, they were just about to begin shooting, or maybe had been shooting for a couple days when COVID happened. And then they became the first major movie to return to work in Canada. Also kind of interesting, Josh Gad was to play the role of Casey Houseman. Mm-hmm. And it, instead, it, of course, is John Bradley, favorite Samwell of Game of Thrones. And I found out while researching this, Dan, he's going to be in The Three-Body Problem. Oh, our favorite, our favorite book. 
Our favorite book. Um, Our favorite novel of the past year. Halle Berry's role was originally written for a man, which somehow does not surprise me. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. Which is how we get the first Imric bad mom rather than mm, bad dad. Bad dad, yes. Right. That does it was written as a bad it. dad, not surprisingly. And so instead, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> the poor kid has a bad dad and a bad mom. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Dan, if I were to ask you yes. if scientists were involved in the making of this movie, <laughs> what would you guess? Or their level of involvement. Like, let's just, what What do you got? We talked about this last week in terms of Day After Tomorrow, where, like, NASA would have to continue to issue, like, terse statements about Day After Tomorrow. <laughs> I, have this, I have this image of, like, a NASA AI, fitting with the movie, by the way, in which Emmer could ask questions and the, the NASA AI would spit out, no, the moon is not made of green cheese rolls, or things like along those lines. <laughs> so, so tell me what actually happened. They were involved, Dan. Actually, pretty deeply involved. <laughs> Emmerich in an interview said, I was honestly thinking they would not support us. And then they supported <laughs> us, which was kind of a strange thing. But I also understand it because they only usually supported movies which take place in space and are realistic. <laughs> and they would not have quite the same excitement about space exploration. So I think they're taking all the good parts and then telling us, leave us out of this scene, presumably the megastructure scene. <laughs> <laughs> leave us out of this scene presumably a lot of things but they were totally on board and they did insist that the moon is not built (laughs) i'm glad to see nasa kept some integrity yeah halle berry said they were actually (laughs) using like real spaceships and touching buttons that real astronauts (laughs) have been using and using real equipment they used to fly we also had an astronaut on set to give us a rundown to tell us what buttons not to push. <laughs> Sorry, I can't quite take that. I have this image of like, do you think that like, I keep wondering like, did NASA have like, there was an astronaut pool. Yeah, I was going like, to say who, you, who lost the bet. Who, who got the short end of the stick? Like, all right, you, you, you know. But then again, it's Halle Berry. I mean, that is true. That's a good like, point. I, so, I, so you really are you really losing that much? But I do have this picture of like the astronaut, kind of looking like Patrick Wilson in, in the first third of the film, like but with like a bottle of you know like drinking occasionally because <laughs> to numb the pain. And I apologize for saying, but like you know just it, it's just yeah. and having to like um, answer the questions of like random crew members being like, "Are you sure it's not made by aliens?" <laughs> This also is kind of sad, right? Because this means like NASA, we will return actually to For All Mankind. And we talked about this in in that episode, which is that NASA suffered a PR downfall in the Mm -hmm. past few years. Like people just don't think about NASA. We actually even like we have now we have Space Force, right? Yes. Like as like the bright, shiny new thing. And so this just suggests to me that NASA is fucking thirsty. Like... (laughs) Well, I mean, that comes out. We're going to discuss And not discuss just for Halle Berry, well. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Because <laughs> who wouldn't be? Or Patrick Wilson. Yeah. Right. Um, but yes, yes. And of course, on a, you know, at least in theory, 
the movie does end with the promise of a sequel, and we will get to that a little bit. Imrik is up for a sequel. He has said he would be up to make make a sequel. We have a new section, Chekhov's What's It? You've have it in our script as Chekhov's blank, but I think Chekhov's mm-hmm. What's It really captures the spirit of yes. the section better. It was suggested on the Discord. Dan, what's your Chekhov thing? <laughs> My Chekhov's thing on it is literally a gun in this instance because <laughs> there is a gun. It's really in boring, on it. but <laughs> it it is boring. But you have to admit, correct me if I'm wrong, and I, it's been a hot minute since I saw the film. There's a moment where Patrick Wilson just takes a gun out. That I don't think we've seen before, nope. correct me if I'm wrong, nope. and nope. gives it to his son it, and says, you might need this for the trip. Yep. It, and it I, really, I, yep. <laughs> I, on a, I think we might need to say at various points when in the plot we laughed. I did laugh at that. because I, And I literally almost texted you to say, the gun is here, like Chekhov's gun. Yeah, there is, is a Chekhov's gun. Like we don't have to yeah. look for a Chekhov's other thing. There's yeah. a Chekhov's gun. Yeah. yeah, I also, when that happened, I was like, well, it's a bad enough movie. This may not come back. <laughs> they could forget about it. <laughs> That's true. Yes, fair enough. So, but my other nominee is Chekhov's ex-husband. Because <laughs> <laughs> Halle this Berry's... Is actually a... What? This is actually a movie about divorce on a <laughs> <laughs> It's a very... It was a serious about the, the ways that, you know, careerism affects uh, marriages. Um, actually, yeah, yeah. Emmerich, I'm curious about Emmerich's parents now. <laughs> Because this is his strongest trope. His strongest trope is, in fact, divorced protagonists. Yep, yep. Doing it before was cool. And, of course, the Chekhov's ex-husband is Jacinda's or Joe's ex-husband. It kind of Mm -hmm. is a general. And, of course, it winds up being important that he's a general. (laughs) At first, it's not clear, but, you know. Oh, but it'll come up, listeners, in what is... What is the finest exchange of dialogue, I think, in this, <laughs> this year? Hands down. Hands down. We'll get to that in a bit. There is some really exceptional dialogue in this movie. <laughs> yes. Exceptional. I think that's a good word I can use. All right, Dan, let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about the plot such as it is. Okay, let's get to act one. When the moon hits your eye like a big bunch of nanobots, that's amore. <laughs> So, listeners, I'm going to just preface this by saying I might get the precise sequencing of some plot details wrong here because I did only see this film once, and I will admit I was laughing throughout much of the running time. In fairness to me, I think I am taking the plot at least as seriously as the screenwriters. So, just bear that in mind. Okay. Flashback to 2011. Astronauts Joe Fowler, Brian Harper, and a guy I'm going to call John Redshirt are, are, are doing some repair My maintenance. We also, he's also known as friend. There we go. Yes. They're doing some repair maintenance on a satellite when a black nanobot swarm heads for the ship. Redshirt dies! Gasp. Fowler is knocked unconscious, the ship's electronics go out, and Harper has to pilot the shuttle home without any electronics whatsoever, which is a thing I choose to believe could happen because Emmerich, Ariana. I'm eating, so I can't say all the things I want to say. (laughs) Sorry. I'll get to it later. Okay. Once back on Earth... NASA refuses to believe Harper's description of the nanoswarm. Fowler doesn't back him up, and he is dismissed from NASA. Also, his wife divorces him. Because that's what happens. Flash forward a decade. Fowler is now NASA's deputy director and divorced from her husband, the Air Force General. Not one, Anna, but two X's in this film, okay? (laughs) You can tell 
Emmerich is like ramping things up. Harper is behind on his rent, late to give talks at planetariums, and extremely busy appearing in cinema's least convincing courtroom scenes ever put on film because his son got arrested for joyriding. Yes. Uh, Casey Hausman, a megastructuralist, not a neo-megastructuralist, but a megastructuralist, <laughs> who believes the moon is not actually a post, a di- or and also not a post-structuralist, megastructuralist. He believes the moon is actually a Dyson sphere of some kind, procures data showing that the moon is no longer in its orbit. NASA figures this out around the same time and calculates it will impact Earth in three weeks. They try to keep a lid on it, but information goes viral. Smash cut to a shot of a giant moon on the horizon and me laughing in a theater. Anna, can I just say that it is my fondest <laughs> wish for all men out there that after a decade of hard knocks, we look as good as Patrick Wilson does during his character's supposedly dissolute days. Is that where you're going to draw your line in the sand for realism, Dan? <laughs> is it? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm, it, I'm overwhelmed I, with how the lack of realism. It's it's one of those things where like there's just I don't even know where to begin. But I have to admit, like I'm looking at Patrick Wilson and thinking, my God, he is gorgeous. But like he's supposed to be like you know he is he is quite a beautiful person. Yeah. He's now, a good looking man. interestingly, I had the same kind of question, like a question along yeah. the same lines. Mm-hmm. But my question was at first, I thought, would a former astronaut? Even a disgraced astronaut really be that unemployable. Like, you know, he probably has a PhD, which I know there are plenty of PhDs out there who are also not employable, but... I was just saying, I know a lot of people with PhDs. <laughs> on, I mean, you know, yeah. But then I realized, Dan, mm-hmm. in this day and age, mm-hmm. do federal employees become unemployable because they believe in wild conspiracy theories? Is that... <laughs> A thing is that, po- is that are there like can we think of a, a federal employee that's just you know been shunned because they spout wild conspiracy theories like <laughs> yeah um i mean look honestly i'm kind of surprised that harper didn't run for president yeah you know as a result of this <laughs> i mean you know or at least had a good i mean he would have had a thing. book i mean at least right yeah. Like, yeah. but whatever. Again, of all the things to call bullshit on in this movie, like, there's a lot of things. But it was just I, I kept laughing at the idea that yes, this gorgeous man is clearly in deep trouble for like, for you know. My yeah. theory about this preposterousness stuff, by the way, mm-hmm. yeah, is it's I think I use this metaphor in another Imric movie, which is that it's just like you're on a in a car going too fast to stop, <laughs> like. Scenery just blows by you, you know? And it's got to get chewed, Anna. I mean, and it, it barely <laughs> chewed, but but it's got to get chewed. And yeah. it just blows by you, and you're like, wait, that seems wrong. Oh, wait, wait more. There's more. There's more. Oh, wait. And it just comes I, at you. And it's I will all say, so preposterous that for some reason, like, you're starting, you just are like, all right, I'm on board. I guess this I, is what we're doing now. <laughs> let me put it this way. I I think because we've done Emmerich Carey, I have to say that I think this is the most Emmerich film ever. In the sense of like, I don't think I would. I don't think I ever would have said this sentence before. But at least Independence Day was grounded in something <laughs> like a coherent plot, I guess. And like day after tomorrow, I sort of got what they were trying to go for. This is just, it's they 
to call it a Mexican writing binge on this it does not is the is not fair to Mexican writing binges Anna is that's all I'm saying it goes big you know it like, does go big yeah and that is what makes it a good bad movie I, I mean we, that we is, might talk yes. in more detail about this but we have criteria that we've discussed in the past about the good bad movie and mm-hmm. one of them is just fucking going for it oh yeah you know yeah and and to have a kind of shamelessness about that <laughs> and, and this and, film does go for and, it and, and yeah. for everyone to kind of be on board for it too like mm-hmm. the, if there's a weak point in this movie it's probably <laughs> i can't believe i said that by the way <laughs> i was gonna say well, how dare you anna i can't believe you would talk about that there being a weak point in this film. <laughs> if there's a weak point in this otherwise perfect movie <laughs> it would be the performances maybe but see then even then like at some point i was just going i was just like all right halle berry is gonna read it off a cue card sure you know (laughs) like let's 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 move on to get comically bad like oh yeah (laughs) yes all right Oh, act two. We're on act two. Let's move on to act two, Anna. This used to be a country, Anna, a real country with space shuttles. So NASA gets the Europeans to give them a ship and they launch <laughs> the next day. Sure. Okay. What the hell? Just to investigate the moon. All of the sentences in a row that you're saying just... I'm sorry. <laughs> This is the plot on it. I'm pretty sure I'm right about all this. Okay, go ahead. They detect a miles deep artificial hole and drop a probe into it. A nanoswarm that looks awfully similar to the one that went after the shuttle a decade earlier attacks and kills the three crew members. Meanwhile, on Earth, Casey and Harper finally connect, but the massive tidal waves caused by the moon shifting its orbit nearly wipe them out. After the mission failure, the director of NASA basically (laughs) says, later losers and bails, leaving Fowler in charge. He tells her that she is in charge and now has... Anna, do you want to do the honors here? What does she have? Q clearance, Dan. <laughs> she has Q clearance. She has Q clearance and should now go look in the archives <laughs> to find out what's going on. Because now is when you're going to bring this up. She then unearths the strangest Donald Sutherland cameo ever. He is on film for maybe five minutes. Dan, I choose to believe this is in the same cinematic universe as JFK. Like, <laughs> that explains yeah, it. It's yes. the same character. Okay. Continue. Sure. He wheels out in his wheelchair and explains <laughs> that the U.S. government has known that the moon was a megastructure since Apollo 11, but everyone kept quiet about it. <laughs> a program called ZX-7 developed an experimental EMP electromagnetic pulse to guard against the swarm, but wasn't fully developed due to budget cuts. Then he wheels away, <laughs> never to be seen in the film again. Although at one point he's loading bullets in a gun that we don't see again. Well, okay, so so my wife pointed this out, and I, I think it's true. I, I assume what Donald Sutherland was doing was going back to his desk to commit suicide. Yeah, oh yeah, that's what I think is, was happening. Yeah. But like, yeah. it's just, it's a gun that does not belong to Chekhov. That's true. Just somehow there. there. Yes. Okay. Okay. Meanwhile, the military apparently lacks Q clearance because they plan to <laughs> nuke the moon, which seems like a super dumb idea, even within the context of an Emmerich film. 
Joe orders the EMP brought out of storage and brings the retired graffiti-bedecked space shuttle Endeavor out of a museum and prepares it for launch. She also sends a rescue team for Harper because Joe figures that whoever flies the shuttle to the moon will need to do so without electronics, and Harper has done that, sure. Harper agrees so long as they free his super-privileged son, who's going to get out now, even though he was joyriding. And everyone um, else in those jails? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> I have several questions, and not all of them can fit in the confines of this podcast, but but you know, let's just, you know, two of them, because you answered one of them already. Yes. First, am I crazy, or is the whole space shuttle angle a pretty big nostalgia play? It was fascinating to me that they really insisted on the shuttle rather than just come up with something new. And second, did you also laugh at the first shot of the giant moon that occurred way too soon after we learned about its orbital shift? The, the moon shots, as it were... I really only started laughing at them when there started to be this repeated trope in the movie of people stopping what they were doing and looking at the moon. <laughs> As opposed to running for their lives and like, yeah, to yeah, and yeah, like yeah, yeah. And yeah, also yeah. We'll there's this, there, yes. multiple times in this movie, someone says, hey, look. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. points at the moon. <laughs> yeah. There we go. On the space shuttle tip, this is actually something that came up in the story behind the story research. Emmerich is actually invested in the space shuttle issue, which is that they, most of them are retired right. and most of them are in museums. And according to Emmerich, and I, I mean, I don't know, this must, this must be true, are actually ready to fly. Like Probably, no one's yeah. actually taken them apart. So right. this idea that you could just pull one out of the air and space museum and then put it on a rocket, like... It, sure. Yeah. And, you know, that's the part of this movie that NASA was probably pretty excited about. <laughs> <laughs> yes. On the Donald Sutherland, I want to say one tiny thing about the Donald Sutherland cameo, which is he's amazing. It, like it's <laughs> and it's also it's like this piece of acting in a movie. It's acting. Wow. It's like, oh, that's what that looks like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although there was a small part of me that wanted to see like a cash register, like a, a dollar sign going of like how much was he being eyes, paid per like, second of like yeah. per acting, like how much was he making as he was talking? Yeah, yeah, ka-ching. Yeah. And there is mm-hmm. one really good exchange of dialogue that, he, of course, mm-hmm. he makes it. Uh, Halle Berry says, "You have blood on your hands," and he says, "Anyone who follows orders pretty much does, don't we?" Which. Ooh. It's a great line, also true. That's a good line. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Now, as you know, <laughs> I was texting you while I watched this movie. Yes. A lot. And it went... <laughs> For some reason, I got real stuck on the f- flying the shuttle with electricity. Because it can't happen on him? Yeah! Could that be the well, reason? Okay, yes, it can't happen. And also, it's it's like... The other leaps of imagination you have to take in this movie, at least someone's like, oh, that's kind of strange. And then, like, whatever. Like, there's some little hand wavy about it. This is just like, oh, yeah. that you have to wave your hand in some Right, but this is just like, oh, yeah. This just goes, yeah. This is just, oh, yeah, that's a thing that people do is fly a space shuttle with electricity. You just, like... Just so frustrating, especially like when they're when they figure out they can't have electricity near the nanobot swarm, right. but they still have lights on. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And then they do this thing where like, oh, you have to turn off your phone and stuff. Like it's like all that. Well, we have to turn off everything. But they couldn't breathe oxygen in the space shuttle if they if they really turned off all the electricity. Also, I would like to. I mean, not really like to see someone try to land a space shuttle without electricity and atmosphere, but... No, you would not, because it would be a very grisly ending on it. At least it would be short. Let me put this way. I will agree with you on the following. We both laughed a lot during the watching this film. I think during the prologue, when we hear he landed without any electronics, that was literally the first time I laughed. And that was also like the moment I just sort of threw my hands up and said, okay, fine. We're, yeah. we're just going to go with this. So, yeah. Okay, uh, we should continue. Like, there's yes. more. Believe it or not, listeners. Oh, yeah. Although, if you have not seen this movie, shut this podcast down right now. <laughs> and, and go see it. And go see this movie. You must like, support independent cinema like this. You must so support independent I, cinema. And it. I promise you, if you are enjoying this podcast, you'll enjoy the movie. Oh, you It will. is worth yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Now, if you haven't seen it, you've returned. Dan, continue. So let's go to Act 3, I See a Bad Shuttle Rising. An earthquake damages some of the shuttle engines, which initially scrubs the launch and scatters the launch team. But with the moon coming closer to Earth, Fowler now thinks they can still do it with just two engines as opposed to three. What the fuck? Everyone else has (laughs) hightailed it out of there, Anna. So now KC and his IBS are part of the mission team. There are some couple intentionally funny lines in the movie. Yes, yes. Which is rare for Emmerich. <laughs> right. At this point, we do really arrive at the best sequence in this film. The most gonzo of gonzo sequences. In which Harper gives his son the gun and tells him to drive Fowler's au pair Michelle and son Jimmy to Colorado where there's a bunker that houses Fowler's ex-husband in the military brass where they will supposedly be safe. With a tsunami wave nearly crashing down on them. KC, Harper, and Fowler launch, narrowly escaping the water. But this is my favorite part, because Sonny and Michelle are driving away in the Jeep, stop the car, get out of the car, Anna, and stare at the awesome sight of the approaching tsunami wave as the shuttle is launching. Paying zero heed to the fact that the wave is about to crash on them. Anna, I was laughing very hard. One of them might have said, hey, look. Like, because that's. <laughs> but like, in, in some ways, I actually think this might be the most narcissistic moment of Emmerich's film in which the idea that Emmerich believes his characters are going to be so awestruck by the images that Emmerich has created that they would, in fact, just stop and stare. And this is actually an Emmerich trope throughout a lot of his films. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's. And it's somewhat defensible, right? Because it is actually a pretty spectacular shot. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it actually, it, it really does look good. Yeah. But, yeah. But the thing about Emmerich films is a lot of people die, you know? Yeah. And so it is true. Every once in a while, it, it, you think, well, these people might die because they stopped and looked. Like, mm-hmm. these people probably wouldn't. It's usually tertiary characters. Yes, yes. But- Sometimes secondary, but yeah. At this point, Anna, the plot does split into two. There is the actual important plot involving whether Casey, Harper, and Fowler will prevent Moonfall, and the less important one in which Sonny and Michelle get into a personal <laughs> feud with some white working class folks who are trying, also just trying to survive. Uh, do you have anything to say about the second plot, Anna? Because the only part I found interesting about the second plot was the when there was actually like a, an emergency broadcast message warning about atmospheric dissipation. <laughs> And, like, an actual screenwriter wrote that and, like, okay, yeah, sure. 
Dan. Yes, Anna. Capitalism makes criminals of us all. <laughs> so. Okay. In fact, it's a sort of well-known trope in, in, in Marxist analysis. Capitalism is crimogenic. Capitalism creates crime. Now, obviously, most of that crime is is legal, technically, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the upper class robbing labor, right? Right. And I have to say, Dan, mm-hmm. in this particular case, they, they picked a luxury car dealer to be... <laughs> Played by Michael Pena, yes. Who is great, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, of course, they make the working class people, like, total assholes and, like, violent and whatnot, right? But, like... Right, which is... I was serious about the white working class people who just want to live. Like, it's not, Yeah, I mean, you know, but it's like, you know who else has a gun? Sonny. Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know... I know why this happened in the movie, and it's just because they needed some bad guys and some tension. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of funny to me that, number one, Michael Pena's character is a Lexus car dealer. <laughs> <laughs> and they all drive Lexus. I mean, it's like there's, it's like a, it, I do, I assume. You gotta find, look, if, if you are gonna be a scrappy independent filmmaker, Anna, you've gotta yeah, finance I, it somehow, okay? <laughs> Because I also think there were Kapersky ads everywhere throughout the film. Like, you know, like there were there was not a uh, yeah, they, they found anyway, ways it, to. It, yeah. It's hard to root for like the luxury car dealer, like I said, even though he's obviously very heroic and gives his life, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Et cetera. But I will say, it, like the moment you learn a character is a Lexus car dealer, like owns a Lexus car dealership, that character is probably going to die on it. Like that's, that's <laughs> a, you know, that's just the general rules of film at this point. And I will get into one kind of tangent here, which is this thought reminded me of something, which is that there's a not incredibly well-known paper about car dealerships in Australia (laughs) and capitalism and the amount of fraud that happens in used car trading. And it's basically, Mm -hmm. you know about this too? Because it's basically endemic. Like there's just everyone does it. Like everyone does some kind of fraud. Are you talking about the market for lemons? No, maybe. Oh, because there's there's also, I mean, George Akerlof won a Nobel Prize in economics for a, a paper called The Market for Lemons about used car markets, basically pointing out that the reason these markets never work terribly well or traditionally not worked very well is imperfect information, that the dealer knows the flaws with the cars, whereas the buyers do not. So therefore, there's there's rampant cheating going on. Yes. Well, this is a, some a sociological study that did interviews oh, okay. with the car dealers. And oh, basically, okay. they all Confirm say that. they did this because everyone else does. And it's also a right. really competitive market. Yeah. So capitalism yeah. causes these people to cheat, which then actually, yes, makes the market work less well. You there know. You so anyway, capitalism is crimogenic is a <laughs> sentence that I had probably i don't i believe i've heard it before because the first thing i thought of when you asked when you asked me about that plot line was the whole capitalist makes criminals of us all <laughs> which is true just true anyway dan you're shaking your head but we're moving on yes let's go to act four <laughs> what if and i'm just spitballing here the ai without a mexican writing binge so Casey, Joe, and Brian figure out that the nanoprobes are not just attracted to electronics, but biological life inside electronics. They launch a rover into the interior of the moon, because sure, barely evading the swarm. 
Inside the megastructure, they are pulled into a protected chamber. A good AI, let's call the good AI Glenda, <laughs> Anna, but the good AI <laughs> exposits to Harper that this is all the fault of a bad AI. Apparently, humanity's ancestors had achieved peace and prosperity through their souped-up Alexas, but then those AIs turned on their master. <laughs> the moon and other megastructures were constructed as arcs to repopulate humanity, but then AI wiped out all of them but our moon. The swarm is one of those AIs siphoning off energy generated by the white dwarf at the center of the moon and causing the artificial megastructure's orbit to destabilize Anna. I am dumber now than when I read the, started reading this <laughs> what paragraph. I appreciate that they did. Like I said, I, 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 okay, I've already put it. You're right. I'm dumber too because I listened to that. <laughs> but the thought I'm trying to put into words is someone thought of all that. Like so, someone, someone sat down at a computer and decided. Are you sure it's someone, or why it might have been the AI, Anna? Like I, I. I just, I'm putting that out there. It just could be the AI-generated portion of the story. And I don't know about you, but, like, this does, I mean, kind of impressively come out of left field. Like, (laughs) (laughs) this movie is going a lot of different ways, but if you walk in cold to this movie, as I did, like, I, I avoided trying to learn much about it. Yeah, same. Yeah. This was a left turn. This was like, oh, okay. Like... It's really all about the good AI and the bad AI. All right, let's close out. As the moon continues to approach the Earth, the president gives the order to nuke the moon. Again, that is an incredibly dumb order, but we'll just keep going here. Mm. However, Fowler's ex, the general, refuses to turn his seat, (laughs) which leads to what is hands down the best exchange in the entire film. Nay, Anna, I will argue the best exchange on film this entire year. I'm prepared to say that in February of 2022. Here is the dialogue. Anna, I want you to play the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I will play Joe's ex. Go. You're putting the fate of the world in the hands of your ex-wife and a washed-up astronaut? She's never let me down before. (laughs) This is one of the times I texted you. I have Uh, no idea what happened for the next 30 seconds after that because I was laughing too hard on (laughs) it. I mean, I do know. I think the the base is destroyed. But all I kept thinking is... How can you say your ex-wife has never let you down before if she's your ex-wife? That's me. Like, I, you have to not think about these things. <laughs> you have to just, like, roll with the whole thing. Now, did you oh. did point out to me that yeah. she might have been the... The one in the relationship that never let anybody down, and he's the one that did all the letting down. I think that is the, th- the inference I have to draw from that exchange. It's the only way that makes it credible. Although, um, in the Imric world of bad parents. <laughs> it's true. Joe does qualify as not the best parent. So, yeah, I, And what if yeah. also is, is, I mean, again, I was about to say something about realism and I just will stop. We, we really stop can't now. do that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So. The important point is the nukes stay in their silos, but everyone in the bunker is destroyed. And we know that Holly Berry was not responsible for that divorce. Yes. So Harper intends to launch the EMP and sacrifice himself in the process. But while he and Joe are arguing about who's 
should be doing it. It's KC who sacrifices himself to lure the bad nanobot swarm to the EMP and then detonates it. With the nanoswarm destroyed, the moon returns to its regular orbit, but not before Fowler and Harper return to Earth, reunite with their families, and experience the typical world is in ruins, but we live, so I think it's going to be okay Emmerich vibe that he does so well. In a coda, the moon's benevolent AI reveals that it has stored KC's consciousness and says they need to get to work. Anna? Yeah. Will there be Moonfall too? I goddamn hope so. <laughs> like I I will donate to the Kickstarter. That you, there, should be, that's, <laughs> there should be a Kickstarter for Moonfall 2, Bad Moon Rising. I agree. Yeah. You forgot a piece of dialogue that happens in this section of the film, Dan. Oh, no. What was what was this? The moon is going to help us. <laughs> oh, I can't believe I just had to describe the plot of that film, Anna. It, it, it's surreal is the word that, that I think best. It's artful in its own way. Again, I... <laughs> It's so hard to talk about this movie because it is objectively awful. And yeah, yet, oh, it's so terrible. I but have so much love for it. <laughs> yeah. I, I keep wanting to say I don't know how people don't like it, but of course I know how people don't like it. It's terrible. Oh, it's like, a terrible film. I mean, it's like, a terrible it, it, movie. It, it, let's be brutally honest for a second, listeners. Like, there is very little that is redeeming in this film, but it is entertaining. Yes, it is. If you like good, bad films, this is the Citizen Kane of good, bad films. And unlike some of Imrick's other movies, like, I mean, I would say like Bill Pullman and Will Smith and, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, Jeff Goldblum and Judd Hirsch, where you get some charisma and some like people like digging into the acting to the best of their ability, you know? Yeah, that's not really going on here. Nope. 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 I mean, no. Both Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry have done great work. Oh, yeah. You know? And that's not this. And of course, no. and John Bradley has done great work, too. Yeah. And, and there are some line readings that are... It's possible for a line reading to be so bad it's good. I, I didn't know if I believed that before now. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say this, and I think part of what makes it such a good, bad film is what there isn't in this film, no one is winking at the camera. Oh, no. Yeah. Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry, these actors probably know this is not great dialogue, but they're not playing it. They're not, like, doing it in a hammy way. It is, they're, it's, yeah, it's just. It's it's kind of hard to describe, like, how perfect this particular confluence of bad things is. Yeah. You know, I don't think this can be replicated, Dan. I think this is. <laughs> so, in other words, Moonfall 2 will not meet the standards of Moonfall is what I don't, you're saying. I just don't know. If the, I think everything has to be perfect in order for this yeah. kind of thing to happen. Like the, <laughs> the moon has to be in the right place. The stars have to align. <laughs> oh, well played. Well played, Cox. <laughs> yeah. right. But, you know, Dan. I yes, wish. Anna? Is there yep. IR in this movie? Anna, that might be the greatest question you've ever asked. Unfortunately, (laughs) I have the world's most mediocre response. There is just a smidgen of very bad IR in this film. Literally, literally, there's classic Emmerich tropes of like, if this is, you know, there's like references to other countries vaguely. Like the Europeans somehow get their ship to us within 24 hours. Again, a thing that would totally never happen. 
I don't think there is actually a single shot of another country in this film. So really, it's not like the rest of the world exists. So that's a problem. There are two small... <laughs> there, there are two small, you know, things. The first is, it is typical that a bureaucracy would blame an accident on an operator error rather than something systemically happening to uh, a complex machine. We have seen this time and again in terms of various disasters that very often it's initially attributed to operator error. The most recent example would be the way that Boeing tried to subtly imply that the problems with the 737 MAX were due to the third world pilots as opposed to, Mm -hmm. you know, the actual plane having problems. This is what they try to do to Harper uh, at the start of the film. And then I guess the bad AI's offensive realism, which is, this is a direct (laughs) quote, if the moon survives, they know that organic life can still be born. So I guess the AI thought they literally couldn't, like they had to like total power maximization or whatever. Although that's just, it's really bad. So Anna, there's bad IR in this film, but that's not the only thing in this film. So Anna? Yes, Dan. Is there a critique of capitalism in this film? Dan, the helmet footage was suppressed. So <laughs> my knowledge here is incomplete. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. The big one is that, you know, capitalism makes makes criminals of us all. However, I wanted to point out one other thing, which is that looking at Ministry for the Future, I noticed that it's dedicated to the critic Frederick Jameson. Hmm. Uh who I loved in grad school almost as much as I loved Adorno. Mm. And I understand exactly why he is um, the the person for whom a climate catastrophe book is dedicated. However, there's a famous quote of his that really, it just distills Imrick Airy down. And I think <laughs> maybe Jameson is the patron saint of Imrick Airy. Okay. Someone once said that it is easier to imagine the end of the world than to imagine the end of capitalism. We can now revise that and witness the attempt to imagine capitalism by way of imagining the end of the world. Oh. Well, I mean, you're okay. I mean, that's what Emmerich does. Yeah. Like he creates profit by imagining the end (laughs) of the world. Yeah, fair enough. Literally embodies what that is. Like, how many times can I destroy the world in order to make money? And how many different ways can I destroy the end of the world? Yeah. So I look forward. It is true also that seeing that the book was dedicated to Jameson made me actually a little more excited about the ministry for the future, which is you have your white papers. I have my Frankfurt School critics. So (laughs) fair enough. I'm looking forward to reading it, actually. All right, we should turn to Emmerich themes. So, you know, in in honor of Emmerich Carey, you know, we have noticed just a few tropes that appear to occur (laughs) throughout his entire oeuvre. Anna, do you want to start off here? All right, so I have just a couple things to add. I do think that you have a better eye for these than me. Uh, We already went over bad parents, and Mm -hmm. the only reason people get divorced is because (laughs) of work-life balance issues. Right, yeah. Another thing is children get to go anywhere. They just like once they show up in the plot, they can show up in Mission Control, the bunker. They're just like allowed. They're just mm-hmm. they're just there. And the other thing is, you know, he, this high body count, which I already mentioned, like he really just like some movies are afraid to do this. I feel like are afraid to just really like show you that people are dying. They just do this sort of general like tidal wave sweeps through. 
Imric is pretty like no no people die like there's there's <laughs> death yeah <laughs> oh yeah all right dan you okay uh let's go through the obvious ones not one but two divorces in this yeah. film a step parent dies you know again we've talked about that the earth crust cracking but underneath whatever is going to be the critical thing you know that always happens again oh, yeah, yeah, em- oh, oh and after tomorrow it was the ice but he yes, likes exactly. cracking yes he likes, he likes, he likes cracking, cracking stuff exactly yeah Again, Emmerich's sense of scale. So I will say that as the moon kept getting closer, it was actually a very beautiful shot. Like, it was it was fun to watch. As always, the most out-there conspiracy theorist was right in his, in his film. The gratuitous destruction of New York, Anna. It was like a, a sideswipe in this one. Like, you know, in the sense of we hadn't seen New York up until, like, the very, like, last part of the film. And then, nope, let's just destroy that Chrysler building. And my favorite part is that, like, when I think Harper and Joe land, the tip of the Chrysler building is next to them. Because, sure, and, you know, they're in Colorado, whatever. I'm not even going to figure that out. And again, as I said, I'm sure there are other countries, but we're not going to talk about how the global catastrophe is affecting them. Oh, oh, wait, Dan. Did, I, see, I see the Chrysler building coming. Oh, my God. Oh, ah, run. Oh, run, my God. Look at the size the of that moon. free field. This is where we talk about the stuff we didn't already talk about. Dan, I know you have some things. I do. So just four things this time. First, I did like the shout out to Weekly World News. So we occasionally see Casey like going into his crazy little thing with like Weekly World News headlines. And as a as a longtime devotee of Weekly World News back in the day, it was nice to see. Anna, there was a kitty in this film. There was no dog. I know, kitty. 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 And I did like the kitty. A kitty under great stress for peeing outside the litter box. That's really something. Okay. But I love the clean. I love the kitty's name, which was Fuzz Aldrin. Um, That was a good name. The third thing, there was a weird moment very early in the film where where Joe is coming downstairs. Like she's you just first see her as deputy director of NASA. Oh, by the way, I did love like her phone rings and like it just says NASA. (laughs) That was that was hysterical. But there is a brief moment where Joe comes downstairs and she's going to to leave and she's talking to the au pair. And I briefly thought that that was her wife. I, I, did like, that would, I did too. I did too. Actually, and I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." Okay, let's see where this. And then, then it wasn't, of course. But like, they never I, make I, it clear until pretty far along. Actually, yeah, I was a little <laughs> bummed because I thought that would have actually been a fun way to go, and like, you know, would have been good. And then finally, and, and I apologize for this, Anik, but I'm again trying to bring logic to the film. So oh, I'm sorry. I know. Within the Emmerich's world, the idea is that the nanobots or the bad AI gets attracted to electronics and then biological, you know, things within the electronics. So here's my question. In the prologue that kicks all this off, why do the shuttle electronics go out in the first place? Did you want me to answer that question? No, you don't. <laughs> and also, why doesn't the moon start falling in? Like, literally, like we, there's so much that's preposterous here that even the original motivation makes no fucking sense whatsoever. So sorry. You I'm just, once you get that. on the ride, I like, know. you have to stay on. Keep your arms and, and other limbs inside the vehicle, Dan. Like, don't try to reach out and grab something. That's just, my mistake. Because the going. moon will get it then. All right, Anna, let's hear yours. I I fear you have a long list here. Uh, It's not that long, but um, there's a few things. I did love the helmet footage with suppressed line um, that I used earlier. (laughs) Also, where else would the Incas get potatoes besides aliens? Right. There is a a scene with Halle Berry and her son that 
I shouldn't have laughed, but I did. She is preparing him to to leave, to go to the bunker with mm-hmm. the au pair. And he says very seriously, <laughs> Mom, are we going to die? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why. It just means I laugh reading that to you. I don't, I mean, it's not funny. Yeah. It's terrible, but it's. I no, it's still said. funny, Anna. Yeah, it's funny. Okay. Okay. There is a scene in which I assume what might have been real people from the military teach them to arm the bomb. It right. Didn't it? Didn't really seem. To, it was, I believe, press a button. <laughs> yes. Even fake Doctor Houseman knew how to figure. You knew how to do this. Yes, that's true. Uh, going a little out of order here. I actually also laughed, and this might have been intentional humor when uh, post-tsunami, you know, uh, Hausman and Patrick Wilson's character survive in this fairly tall motel, and they are shown, after the tsunami, lounging in the hotel bath uh, robes. Yes. (laughs) That's a swanky motel is all I'm saying, if they had the robes there. Which I was kind of like, you know what, that's a nice touch. They might have bathrobes, and yes, that is what you would change into while you're close dried. Good, good, that there's some continuity there. Yeah. Someone at one point says, get on the horn, which I don't think anyone has ever said in real life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> As opposed to the many other things in this film that people I'm sure have said in right. real life at some point. There is one point where one of the NASA people says the line, we have to think of how to get these people out of here, which, yes. <laughs> yep. Maybe yeah. could have been something people thought about. And then I guess last thing, they're too genuinely... Again, there's actually some humor in here that is intentionally mm-hmm. funny, which we've discussed other the other Emmerich movies. Often the humor feels grafted on. You know, right, it feels forced, like not yeah. really... Yeah. yeah. One is the fuck the moon graffiti. That was good. I did laugh at that. That was, that was legitimately funny. Yes, yes. And yes. then I also laughed at when uh, Hausman is taking pictures of the really cool shit and they <laughs> give him a sideways glance and he says, it's on airplane mode. Which... <laughs> oh, okay. I have to add, there was one other one that I actually thought was funny, which is when they're looking for Harper, Casey and Fowler, because he's been taken somewhere. And he says, you know, like Casey says, Harper. And then he says, or Brian. It's like, Brian, Brian Harper. And at that point, Fowler turns to him. It's like, how many Brian's do you think there are on the moon? That was a good line. That was a good line. There's a couple. It's such a strange movie. And, oh, and, yes. and I, again, I don't often have trouble finding words, Dan. Like, <laughs> just, this movie leaves me speechless. Really Let's does. put it this way. I don't know if the tone of my voice in describing the plot will ever be the same tone that I will use to describe other plots. Because, like, it's just a, the, the level of incredulity in which I had to read those words. I was... feel I, like I'm I'm almost regretting we're doing 2012 next. Like, it's a better film. I will say. My face is actually aching from how hard it's smiling on him. Okay. <laughs> this has been fun, Dan. Yes. I'm so glad we did this. I am too. Uh, this is something that I've been looking forward to for literally months. <laughs> we started talking about doing this movie 
a long time ago whenever the trailer dropped. whenever the trailer first like, trailer came out yeah, yeah yeah which i think back in november or something yeah yeah it's it's what prompted emmerich Airy, basically yes i mean we were exactly. talking about doing emmerich Airy at some point but yeah anyway. so there is one more week of emmerich Airy, so you have time to get your gifts mm-hmm. um <laughs> if you haven't done your emmerich Airy shopping still, still can <laughs> if you are while you're tossing around cash you might become a patron you can become a patron for as little as $3 a month, although I would spring for the $5 because then you get access uh, to episodes early. Mm-hmm. And then there's other levels where you get swag and stuff. Dan, I forgot we have a new website that we can send people to. Yes, it's called uh, thenation.space. Yes, uh, Dan okayed that URL, everybody. It's Dan's fault. <laughs> And we also have, for anyone that wants it, it's technically for um, patrons, but for anyone that wants it, we have a newsletter, uh, appropriately enough, called Debris Field. It will come out on Wednesdays and basically just has the stuff that we didn't, believe it or not, even at an hour long, sometimes there are things we don't get to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, And it contains um, Professor Dan's handy-dandy reading list for <laughs> every episode. So. Yes. You're going to want to subscribe for that. You go to tinyletter.com slash space the nation to do that. And then I guess we're done. And Dan, until then. Keep this channel open for more. Woo! Look out, moon. America's going to get you. Going to go kaboom. Was nice to admit you. Because you don't mess around with God's America. <laughs> <laughs>